This podcast features adults using adult language, but you know, you got to grow up sometime. Hey everyone, you know what it's time for? Swans Crossing! French pressing a cup of coffee right now, so like in three minutes, the timer is going to go off, and I'm going to go make it because it's early. Do what you got to do. Yeah. Where are you? I, I am in Burlington on the mainland. I had to take my car over yesterday for a service appointment at the dealership, and I left uh, just in time to see that lovely conflagration that engulfed the downtown sector of our town. Yeah. Yeah, how about that? Listeners, we had a huge fire in our tiny town yesterday, and it was horrible and tragic. Fortunately, no one was hurt, thank God, yeah. but it destroyed several businesses, so that's bad. Yeah, three or four buildings, right? Like, I haven't even been down to see it yet. Oh, it's it's awful. It's absolutely yeah. awful. Herb's Tavern is gone, just leveled to the ground. Which, I don't know about you, but that was literally the very first place we ate on the island. Yeah, it was yeah. one of the first. Yeah, the crow's nest coffee is is kaput, and the Windermere building, which is a gorgeous, or it was a gorgeous old like eighteen sixties building, gone. It's so sad. That that is where my wife and I uh, like bought our house. Me too. That's where we bought our house. Oh, it was so yeah. sad. Ugh. Real bad news. Uh, so, um, please do not set fire to your town, listeners. <laughs> oh, there is a uh, there is a fund for the businesses. Can we put that at the end of the episode? Yes, I will put it at the end of the episode. And if anyone can contribute even a couple bucks, that would be so nice. Because we live in this tiny little town and all all of our businesses are locally owned. We don't have any like big chain franchise businesses on our whole island um so yeah if you can contribute anything to help our wonderful neighbors recover we would appreciate it so i'll put that in at the end of the episode thanks yeah and uh by the way this has got to grow up sometime a swan's crossing retrospective (laughs) i'm libby grant i'm nathan kessler jeffrey and nathan's about to make some coffee i am we're gonna we're gonna get to the episode eventually i'm sure because they're oh, oh man oh man I can I understand why there was no big event in this episode now having watched it cuz the ending is a real it's a real cliffhanger folks it's a real cliffhanger told you it's an event unto itself Ufta I literally never thought something like this was going to happen there goes my coffee I'll be right back Well, yeah. So uh, it it was uh, an exciting cliffhanger of an ending, and you definitely did not see it coming based on your predictions. Yeah, no. Let's talk about that because I don't. I'm not. I don't remember what I predicted as usual, but I don't think I got much right. (laughs) Okay, here we go. You predicted Captain Walker would return with a new wife, and the Countess would be enraged. Sadly, that did not happen. It's it's a good idea for a plot, though. It is. It's great. You predicted the Baldy would find out about the poetry notebook. They wouldn't get it, but they would find out about it. Um, I don't. I don't know if that really happened. I honestly don't know if they understand the poetry notebook thing at all. Frankly, <laughs> I don't know if they do either. And I've seen this several times. 
You predicted that Callie would make some kind of connection between the Baldies and Barrick. There would be a baseball game, and JT and Neil would try to work on the heat shield simultaneously, like during the game, and something dramatic would happen at the game. Sadly, that did not occur. I wish. That would be great. I can be forgiven for thinking that there was going to be a baseball game, given that both JT and Neil were wearing their baseball uniforms at the end of the last episode. Which, I want to be clear is, I believe, the same day that this episode takes place. So they have switched out of their baseball uniforms for this episode. There was just, you know, they just wanted to try them on, I guess, make sure they still fit. They like those tight white pants, you know what I'm saying. You predicted that Billy Gunn would arrive, and we would see Neela in her heavy metal outfit. Sadly, that has not happened yet. We did get we did get some Billy Gunn. <laughs> Boy, did we. And we're going to talk about what he was wearing because I have feelings about it. Excellent. You predicted that Garrett would have another freak out on Sydney because it's not going the way he wants. But Sydney would turn the whole thing around so Garrett would be satisfied. Not really accurate. And Muffy and Grant Booth would have some kind of a confrontation, perhaps at the Merrill debate. Sadly, Nathan, I think you struck out completely this time. Here's the thing, though. I think that they had a debate by proxy. Well, sure. I think that I think that is debatable. <laughs> yeah, but no, I think you're right. I have no. I just got that. Joke. That's very funny. <laughs> but that's okay. We're gonna move on and talk about the thumbnail because ooh, this is a good one, folks. Uh, the scene is the tool and die. The characters, Callie and Glory, and whatever look. It is when you've got a tank top and then a button down that's tied at the midsection. Is there a name for this look? 90s. <laughs> I was like, it's very like late 1980s workout top. Yeah. Camera left with his back to us is Jimmy in a white t-shirt being confronted by these two pissed off ladies. And on the work table between them is either a basket or one of those diapers bag sized purses from the 90s with a yellow scarf or a sweater sticking out of it. And I got to say that this thumbnail really made me look forward to getting into this episode because it is a it is a tight action packed thumbnail. Oh yeah, so much is tight and action packed in this episode. It is the end of season 4, folks. We are going to be taking a bit of a break after this one, but boy, we are going out with a bang for this episode. Mm-hmm. We open in Glory's bedroom where she's reading from JT's poetry book. And oh my, this poetry sure is laced with a lot of mathematics, isn't it? Hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, she is reading the poetry notebook to her adorable white stuffed bear. Callie comes into the room wearing a bathrobe and carrying a blow dryer and remarks that landlubbers have huge bathrooms. <laughs> yep, she notes the poetry and that she is getting familiar with Glory's morning routine by this point. This is only like the first... This is the end. This is the day after she moved in, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Like, Callie came to stay. The Saja thing was last night. So this is the first morning. Oh, wait. This is the, this is, this is the second morning that she's been there. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Because okay. we had the morning of the, the uneatable orange juice breakfast. Yes. Yes. Um, Glory says that she was going to read a chapter from Elementary Physics but she doesn't seem terribly psyched about this, and Callie asks what they're going to do today instead. So apparently, Glory Day has morphed into Glory Week. Apparently. Apparently. Can I... 
did you know the very funny camera choice of when Callie walks over to change, she starts to remove her robe, and then the camera cuts for a very long shot on Glory <laughs> while while Callie's changing. But I think they've done this because Callie has underdressed her whole wardrobe under that robe. Yeah. <laughs> because the amount of time it takes her to get into her pants and top is like completely unrealistic. It's so fast. It cuts back and you can see she's like doing up her, like the belt buckle on her pants. Like she's fully dressed now. It's really funny. <laughs> it's a great shot though. It's fantastic. Uh, Glory confesses that she's getting kind of bored with all the Glory stuff and she wants to do Callie stuff instead. And Callie notes that it's her day off from work so they can't go to the tool and die. Right. So Callie offers to take her fishing instead. And Callie notes, and Glory objects to the idea of like using worms on fishing hooks and that kind of thing. And Callie notes that it's not always about fishing. Sometimes it's about quiet and just thinking your own thoughts. And we get the, we get a flashback scene to Callie and Jimmy relaxing poolside at the Swans Club on a day we have to presume that they broke in. Right, right. You know, the day when they ate the fruit and crab leg bag salad. Oh, gross. <laughs> so gross. Oh my gosh. But ultimately, Callie and Glory agree to go out for a peaceful day of chilling and possibly reading some more of JT's awesome poetry. Sounds fantastic. Oh yeah. We cut away from this painfully boring scene of Callie and Glory to Sydney reclining in her chaise lounge on the phone with Mila. And apparently, Mila's been calling every hour to find out how things are progressing with the arrangements for Billy. Oh, yeah, it's a split screen. I'm a little sad that split screens rarely happen anymore in television because it was such a 90s thing. And it's just it's very charming and fun. It is very fun. And I really do. I wonder because they're on different sets. Like, what are the mechanics of doing a split screen dialogue logistically? Particularly when you've got three people on three different sets? Yeah, I don't know. It is interesting, isn't it? Um, Mila is anxious about whether Sydney can really pass for a social secretary. Now, I guess this must be an actual rich people thing because the kids on this show have made jokes about social secretaries like a few times now. It has to be a it has to be a rich people thing because I do not have a social secretary, and I don't believe you do either. I have never even heard of a social secretary before, but on the other hand, I am not a rich people. So I mean, this is this is what Mila is worried about. When in fact, Mila should be worried about her shirt. <laughs> it's a very loud shirt. <laughs> It is, folks, Mila is wearing a shirt that has, like, this background of, like, canary yellow and green leaves. But the 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 really prominent features are these neon pink roses. It is, I mean, it's a nice contrast to what Sydney's wearing, which are these thick black and white horizontal stripes. But it is loud. Yeah, it is uh, it eye-searing. <laughs> Very yeah, vibrant. Yeah. You can't unsee it. <laughs> Before Sydney can give any good answer, though, she abruptly picks up the other line, and it's Garrett! Who apparently called ten minutes ago uh, to find out how she was getting Billy out of Garrett's way. This is the lazy exposition of characters talking about things that they all know. Is really troublesome to me. It's bad. You don't do that in writing. <laughs> but 
but this is sort of helped by by Sydney switching back and forth between Garrett and Mila without answering any of their questions as the camera zooms in on her getting more and more panicked before we cut away. I love the slow zoom on Sydney as she starts to freak out. So it's now like it's a triple split screen, right? So it's a triptych of out of control wealth and personality disorder. And it's just slow zoom in. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> she cuts back to Garrett again. God knows why. He demands to know exactly what she's going to tell Mila. And then Sydney just hangs up on both of them. <laughs> we cut quickly to a machete chopping pancakes. These are words that I never realized I needed to say. <laughs> that might be the title of this episode, A Machete Chopping Pancakes. <laughs> the Baldies are sitting at a table in Swan's Cafe. Captain Baldy is eating pancakes, and his compatriot on the left has what appears to be an ice cream sundae in front of him. They both have cotton balls in their ears, and Captain Baldy is talking about today being the day uh, being the day and the prospect of action giving him an appetite. Yes, then they, they coast each other with some nonsense words in their made-up language, and the first Baldy, Captain Baldy, pours what is allegedly syrup over his mangled pancakes, but that is not syrup. It is, like, opaque. <laughs> it's, it's something. And then the Sunday Baldy raises his Sunday in a toast and eats it without a fork. <laughs> Or a spoon. I don't know why you would eat a Sunday with a fork. That's ridiculous. Let's cut yeah. that out. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do that clean. The captain bought the other damn it. Never mind. Just leave it in. Okay. I'm leaving it all in. <laughs> I hope you, all, hope you all enjoyed this peek behind the scenes. The high production values here at gotta grow up sometime. <laughs> I don't think I think maybe in forty episodes of doing this I have ever said uh I, I'm gonna get that clean. Maybe one other time. <laughs> All right. Uh, did you get the, we cut the, the theme song and then the commercial. And did you get the haunting bounty commercial again? Because I sure did. I did. It is unsettling. It is so strange. I feel like we need to do a podcast about this commercial. Because <laughs> it's so weird. Where is this bounty commercial coming from? It doesn't look like anything else that bounty does. It's obviously like super low production quality. There's this haunting shot of the bounty towel after it's been used. At the end of the ep- at the end of the commercial, a a roll of bounty gets flung against a wall. It seriously feels like the least popular TikToker made a bounty commercial. I, it is unsettling, and I don't like it. No, I don't either. Anyway, fortunately, we escape back from that horrible commercial. We see Callie and Glory enter Swans just as the two Baldies leave, and as they take off, they each put a fresh cotton ball in their ears. Yeah, I I was wondering if they were taking the cotton balls out to be to avoid being seen by the ladies, but they were just wearing them in. In the cafe, so it's not like they're trying to hide the fact that they're wearing them. I mean, maybe the cotton balls fell out again because their fucking cotton balls fall out all over town, but who knows? Callie and Glory sit at the counter and decide to get something to go because they have to swing by the tool and die to get Callie's fishing pole. Barrick comes in as they're discussing menu selections and walks right over to them like a total creeper. Uh, And Callie seems surprised that he's not at work. 
Right, because it's her day off, not his. So, like, who is holding down the fort? And he just casually says, I had some things to take care of. How does this man keep this business afloat? Fats is going to be pissed when he comes back from riding his motorcycle all over creation. Libby, Fats is dead. <gasps> Fats is definitely dead. No! <laughs> oh, yeah. If you... I don't, I don't know how you didn't pick up on this, but Fats is definitely dead. No! Fats, we hardly <laughs> knew ye! Anyway, uh, he sits down right next to Callie at the counter, uh, and he's... <laughs> Callie asks pointedly if he's came to get more ice cream, and he says, No, I thought I'd have some breakfast. Do you mind? He then orders... Jazz comes up. He orders a fried egg on a roll, which is a weird way of saying a breakfast sandwich. And Jazz, he doesn't even wait for Jazz to be like, what are you having? Jazz has no lines in this episode. I'm not even sure it's really Jazz, because I don't think we ever see her face. We just see the back of her We do. Oh, okay. We do see her face once, right at the beginning, as uh, Callie and and Glory are sitting down. (laughs) Just then, Neil and JT walk in, and Neil is mad, because JT won't stop eating long enough to work on their science stuff. He's a growing boy! He comes in and orders a huge stack of pancakes, which apparently he just ordered an hour ago. Oh my god, he may be a growing boy, but he's going to get diabetes if he doesn't start (laughs) eating some goddamn vegetables. JT sits down next to Glory, and she and Neil get into it a little bit about how they ever do is all they ever do is work. Callie and Barrick give each other side eye as she reads the menu, and he reads a magazine article, the title of which starts with. So you want to, Libby, what do you think the last half of the article title is that Barrick is reading? So you want to be an undercover agent. (laughs) He does need some help. He needs some pointers on this because he is real bad at undercover agenting, particularly in this scene. (laughs) So you want to be an undercover agent. I love it. (laughs) Barrick listens in on the boys' conversation about physics And in the background, an extra is just going for it. Did you see that guy in the background, like, having this fake conversation with the biggest, goofiest grin on his face? Oh, my God. Uh, I did not notice that guy, and now I'm going to have to go rewatch this episode. He's great. And you know he's just, like, peas and carrotsing everything, right? Because we can't hear him, obviously. But he's very convincing. And he's talking to this person who has their back to the camera. And I just couldn't help but thinking the person he was pretending to talk to had to be cracking up because he was so earnest and so dedicated to this peas and carrot sarsaparilla conversation that's going on. I love it. My one of my favorite things about this scene is that JT and Glory are talking to each other about physics stuff. Barrick is riveted, but between Glory and JT in the background, Neil is very carefully positioned <laughs> near the entrance to the cafe so that he can hear them and interrupt if something goes wrong. <laughs> it's so funny. That's Neil for you, you know? Glory changes the subject away from science to JT's poetry, and she pulls out his poetry book, and Neil swoops in from his background positioning, worried that Glory is about to reveal the original poetry book. But he sees that it's a different book, and he chills out. Which is hilarious. I guess what I'm what I'm starting to realize, that I don't think I, I fully grasped several episodes ago, the original poetry book that Neil gave to Glory is not JT's poetry, correct? Well, 
I don't think so. <laughs> but okay. I, I think maybe uh, Neil, I, I, it's never really fully explained, but I think maybe Neil sort of rewrote some of JT's poems to include parts of the UB2B formula. Okay. But I'm not 100% sure about that. I'm just inferring a lot after having watched this series several times. Yeah. Okay. I, I also want to point out that in the early 90s, like being told by a, by a, the, your crush that they really liked your poetry was like such a, like, I, I would have eaten this crap up as a, <laughs> as a teen boy. Like, I love this. Oh, God, me too. Uh, Jazz brings over Barrick's fried egg on a roll with a cup of coffee. Barrick immediately stands up, plunks down some cash, and fucks off without taking his food with him. Because she didn't put it on a roll. She put it on an English muffin. (laughs) This guy is so bad at being undercover. Callie immediately points out that he didn't touch his food. And he says, and she says, why would you order it if you're not going to eat it? Barrick thinks he's being super smooth when he replies, why would you go fishing without a pole? Like, what? He starts to leave again. And Callie says, aren't you going to take it with you? (laughs) And Mm -hmm. then, did you record what Barrick answered to that? I ask for it on a roll, and I like to travel light. What? (laughs) It would make him seem so much less suspicious if he just took the sandwich with him. It would cost him no effort. The great thing about a sandwich is that you can eat it with your hands. It is entirely portable. Yeah, (laughs) it is portable food. (laughs) Also in this scene, this is the scene where I noticed right off the bat that JT and Neil have completely switched out of their ba- their baseball uniforms. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, JT is in a Rangers jersey and jeans, and Neil is wearing a polo and slacks. Like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it was pretty fun. Uh, so, Barrick leaves, just takes off. Callie stares after him with the intensity of my cats staring at a laser pointer and says to Glory, they need to order and go. Neil comes up, oh, th- like, as soon as soon as Barrick leaves, a bunch of weird shit happens all at once. <laughs> Callie pushes that the order so they can go. Neil comes over and tells JT they have to go, even though JT's order hasn't arrived and he hasn't paid for the food that he ordered. JT tries to take Barrick's untouched sandwich, which Neil says he can't, <laughs> making no sense whatsoever. And then JT and Neil leave. Glory rolls her eyes and looks to Callie, and we cut to Sydney on the phone. What? <laughs> so chaotic. It's so funny. It's total sandwich chaos. <laughs> it is. It's sandwich chaos. <laughs> Ridiculous. Sydney is on the phone with Billy Gunn. Oh, we do see Billy, sadly not in a split screen, but it cuts back and forth. And uh, there's a different framed photo of Princess Di on the wall behind him. The last one was autographed. This one is not. It's also the sole piece of decor in the room that Billy is in. It's the sole piece of anything in the room other than Billy and his guitar. (laughs) Sydney gives her name to which Billy responds. What exactly is a Sidney Rutledge? And my goodness, don't we all ask ourselves that question? He has no time for her. Before we go any further, we need to talk about what Billy Gunn is wearing. Here's the thing. I took no notes on this. Oh, I did. Dear listeners, our man Billy is dressed in the following attire. One pair of faded blue jeans. One black vest with slightly less black skulls all over it. No shirt under the vest, just his bare skin. 
and around his neck is what I can only describe as a wicker wreath. I do not know what the fuck he's going for here. I don't think anybody knows what the fuck he's going for. Well, no, we all know what the fuck he's going for, but not in terms of his his fashion sense. Sydney says that she is Mila Rosnovsky's social secretary, and suddenly Billy's all ears. Mm-hmm. He wants a white stretch limo and asks if Sydney's taking notes. And as Sydney scrambles to find a pencil, it occurred to me that this may be the first time Sydney's spoken to someone more entitled than she is, and she has no clue what to do. It's a real waker-upper moment for her. <laughs> she uh, she can't find anything to write on, so she goes over and tears a piece of wallpaper off the wall, which is a great little uh, detail. It's excellent. He essentially gives her his hospitality rider <laughs> over the phone. It is so great. I wrote down every single item on it because I'm obsessed with what Billy Gunn expects to visit a small town on the eastern seaboard. Here we go. Fully stocked fridge. Bangers and mash. Scones. Biscuits, which is just a list of English foods the writers could think of off the top of their heads. He also wants an entire case of French mineral water with chilled glasses. Then he tells her to book a suite with a king-sized bed. Creepy. Yeah, this motherfucker wants a king-sized bed for his rendezvous with a 14-year-old child. Oh, God. Ugh, the 90s were a bad time, y'all. Get out. Uh, Sydney, at this point, runs out of room on her piece of wallpaper, so she grabs a box and some packing paper from the floor and goes on writing Billy's creepy demands. He wants the suite with windows facing the garden, not the street. Four telephone lines, a sauna, a fax machine, a Nordic track and an exercycle, a snooker table, which Sydney asks for clarification on. He says it's pool. And he says his road manager recalled with the specs on the sound system. And at that point, Sydney has had it. And she pushes over her box and her list in disgust while Billy Gunn just rattles on and on. Mm-hmm. And we cut to commercial. We yes. come back and Sydney is reading the list back to Billy. Uh, some of the some of the new requirements include shepherd's pie and a super slinky. Yeah, okay. At this point, I think the writers just started throwing together words, like whatever came to their heads, because Sydney adds to the list something that sounds like bunny balls, and then she says, purple turtle super slinky. <laughs> what? Oh what is this? I don't know, but you better get the purple turtle one. Yeah, she asks if if she's missing anything, and he says, tea, a rather large selection of it. And then he adds, spotted dick with clotted cream, which was a potential double entendre too uncomfortable for me to contemplate right now. Thank you. Thank you. Let's not <laughs> contemplate that. He does, She as he's listing off the teas, she does ask if he wants arsenic on top. <laughs> and in, in all lowercase letters, I wrote the word, funny. <laughs> Sydney asks where Mila fits onto this list of his, and he says, she's on the top of the list. Ugh. Yep. Uh, she gets off the phone saying she'll see him at the airport and then literally just chucks the list into the <laughs> waste bin. <laughs> so good. We cut to Outside the Tool and Die, where Glory's walking around with Callie reading JT's Rocket to Paradise poem. They head into the shop, but then we see the two baldies lurking in the alley with the circus poster. Before we get into the shop, I would like to note that the Rocket to Paradise, apparently Glory has transposed into the notebook from the original napkin 
and as she reads it, the super sexy sax music is playing as they're as she and Callie are standing outside the door of the tool and die. And great. it's just hilarious. <laughs> um so the the Baldies creep up behind some trash cans. They're wearing weird things on their heads. At first I wasn't sure if they were turbans or what, but then they sort of do this move where they flip their heads and these frontal flaps like flop down in front of their faces and they pull them down into something that closely resembles Saja's ninja garb. It's yeah, they're very ski masky. Like 1980s, 1990s ski masks, not the cool ski masks we have now. Yeah. Uh, inside the shop, Jimmy appears. He is wearing a different shirt for once. I know. I noticed that. Like in the in the thumbnail, I was like, oh, he's wearing white. That's weird. <laughs> it's totally different. He's walking around, mooning over a wrench, which I guess is just what Jimmy does. Glory says hi to him, and he just sighs. He is real crabby. Like... I don't know why he's... Maybe it's because he didn't get any sleep last night because he was talking to Eric about Saja. I don't know. I guess. He's a cranky boy today. Glory starts chattering brightly about what a great time she and Callie are having, and Jimmy acts like a real pain in the ass while Callie wanders around the shop doing nothing. Jimmy gets into a theory that Callie's bird-brained ideas got Saja all revved up last night about everything, and he's seeing spies all over the place now, and Callie and Jimmy get into it oh my god it goes from zero to 60 real fast like it is a full-on fight within moments glory is like trying to leave and there's this long scene of go stay go stay go stay nathan when you were in drama school did you do an improv game called i want to go i want you to stay you know that sounds familiar i feel like i have done that at some point yes i feel like every drama nerd has but this totally reminded me of that i want to go i want you to stay it was like big time giving me those vibes as glory is uncomfortable we cut to commercial and when we're back sydney is putting up a mayor rutledge for mayor sign on the outside of the cafe while glaring at garrett who's putting up a a choice for the voters booth sign on literally the other side of the door into the cafe I also have to note that Sydney is using an upholstery hammer to relentlessly pound at a push pin that's already pushed like all the way into the wall. It is so yep. funny to me. <laughs> Garrett is using tape to put up his signs. And I want to say unequivocally, these are both bad options. Yes, for sure. Um, I also really, really love Muffy's campaign poster because, as you noted, it is Mayor Rutledge for Mayor again, which is the greatest campaign slogan of all time. And it features a glamorous black and white headshot of the actress who plays Muffy. It's so good. It's, it is excellent. <laughs> I want to know who Swan's Cafe is supporting in the race. <laughs> They're neutral. They're Switzerland. <laughs> we are Switzerland. You can both hang your signs here. <laughs> Uh, Garrett wanders over and says Sydney can't be working very hard on his project if she's doing this. And Sydney quips, well, you know what they say. If you want to get something done, get a busy person to do it. I have never heard that saying before. Nobody's nobody's ever said that <laughs> because a busy person doesn't have time to do those things. Does not make any sense. As they're bitching at each other, some womp wompy music plays and Sandy staggers into the scene lugging a positively enormous bag of laundry, which she kind of drops onto the bench and it spills everywhere. I have to talk about this. I wasn't going to talk about it, but I have to talk about it. I can't let it go unsaid. <laughs> Sandy walks in and spills part of the laundry bag onto the bench outside of Swan's Cafe. But when, we, when the camera cuts over to her, she is walking 
from a corner of the building where you literally could not come from. Yeah. Like, it's not like she was walking down the street. It's like she was standing in the corner of the building, the exterior corner of the building, waiting for the queue to walk in and spill the laundry. It's like she emerged from a portal on the side of Swan's Cafe. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it's so frustrating. I love it. Uh, Sandy remarks that their washing machine died again, so she's helping her mom by taking all the washing to the laundromat. And Garrett uses this opportunity as a thinly veiled threat to remind Sydney that Sandy's life could be Sydney's. Yes, and he ropes Sydney into helping Sandy do all that poor person laundry. Ooh. Sandy goes absolutely wild with planning the rest of the day of laundry and poster distribution. <laughs> She actually has some pretty good ideas about how to be efficient about it. <laughs> Absolutely. I also i i have to give I have to give credit. They did give her a comically big bag of laundry. Like it is, it is fantastic. The laundry bag is pretty much as big as the actress. It is really funny. Um, Sandy says Sydney is a doll. To which carrot carrot to which Garrett replies, "Make that a puppet." <laughs> <laughs> As they struggle off to the laundromat, Garrett throws a booth poster over the one that Sydney just put up for her mom. <laughs> That's a great moment. Back at the tool and die, Callie and Jimmy are still super pissed at each other. Glory's trying to ignore them while she reads the poetry book, and we get a random and totally unnecessary flashback to the time Saja saw Barrick jump at the sight of an unexpected ninja, which is weird because Saja isn't there. There's no one, there's literally no one in this scene who can remember this moment because none of them were there. So odd. Callie gets so pissed that she starts throwing shit, like just throwing things around the shop. It's great. And there's this, there's this glorious moment where, uh, where Jimmy picks up a bucket and is about to throw it and then realizes that that will probably hurt the other actor. And, and they're, I think, both hoping that they have cut away from this by now. Because <laughs> he doesn't throw it. He just sort of drops it. And Stacey Mosley looks like she is struggling not to laugh, which I don't blame her for. This scene is ridiculous. But Jimmy's immediately on that bus, too. I mean, they are throwing whatever comes to hand. Uh, it's the most ridiculous and noisy fight of all time. And Glory gets the fuck out of there, which is probably wise if she doesn't want to get hit in the head with a flying monkey wrench. Exactly. And the funny thing is about this, she doesn't go out and and just be like, man, that was crazy, huh? She goes outside and just continues to read the poetry. (laughs) She's very consistent. But what happens next, Nathan? She reads more from the poetry book. The The Baldies come out from behind the boxes, cover her mouth, and drag her off screaming. There is a freeze frame on her kicking and the credits start to roll as the most poorly conceived music cue of all time starts playing. (laughs) Gotta grow up sometime as the credits roll. (laughs) Gotta get abducted. Ooh, gotta get abducted. Get abducted sometime. I was like, how is this part of growing up? (laughs) Well, there you have it, folks. The biggest cliffhanger of all time. We're ending season four on that moment, and we won't be back until, like, May 21st. How are we going to stand it? You know what? Somehow I'll manage. Well, who was our psychopath of the week? Uh, oh. 
there are a few to choose from here. I, I can, I'm going to make the argument that it has to be Callie because she just explodes and starts throwing shit. There is that. I mean, I want to give Billy psychopath of the week every episode that he's in. That's fair. I think you're right. It's it's probably Callie. Yeah, I mean Billy's uh, Billy's horribleness is more premeditated than explosive and psychopathic. So let's go with Callie for we, this. Week. We do have our we have our psychopath all stars in the episode this week. We got Billy, we got Barrick, we got Garrett. Yeah, and it goes to Callie. It's a real like who knew Callie's the dark horse this week in in a rogues gallery of psychopaths. She comes up from behind to surprise us all. Yeah, yeah, she's the poison ivy of <laughs> the penguin. We got the Joker. We got the Riddler. Wait, what? Surprise. Poison Ivy? What? <laughs> okay. Didn't see that coming. What's our swan count? Only one new swan. And unfortunately, because I'm recording at home, I don't have access to the full count. But I think we're at like 104, 105. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay. Yeah. What are your predictions for next week? I don't think anything is going to happen with the stinking baldies. I think Glory gets away. Here's the thing. I don't have any idea how the writers are going to manage this. Like, either either we get multiple scenes of a young girl in a hostage situation, or she gets away and the police are called and Officer What's-Her-Name has to figure out how to deal with the fact that there are kidnappers in this tiny town. So there's no good way for them to write themselves out of this scenario. I'm going to, okay. I think Glory disappears and we don't see her at all next episode. She's just gone and people are wondering where Glory got to. So no Glory next episode. Uh, It's just absolutely like radio silence. Um, And by the end of it, Callie is like, I've got to find Glory. Next episode is a Monday episode. So maybe Billy arrives, but maybe, maybe, I don't think Billy arrives. I think they still spend the next episode or two getting Mila ready for Billy's arrival. And so maybe, maybe Sydney and Mila go shopping for an outfit and maybe like the next time we see sydney is after the laundry day with sandy so sydney is like completely disheveled and uh feeling gross and tired and like staggers home and is trying to like like, just like flops in her bed or something like that maybe the next episode is barrick comes back to the tool and die and sees what they've done with all the throwing of stuff and like chews out both of his employees for being immature and Callie grabs her pole and goes off and that's when she realizes glory is missing i that is it that's all i've got i'm so i have no idea how the writers are going to get themselves out of this well it will be a mystery that we will solve in season five of this exceptionally well-produced podcast Thank you to Richard Winsler and Steve Lane for the use of our theme song, Gotta Grow Up Sometime, from the hit show Swans Crossing. And if you want to find us on social media, we're on Twitter at Gotta Grow Up Pod and on Instagram at Swans Cross Pod. I think that might be reversed, and frankly, I do not care. <laughs> You'll figure it out. Just Google us. Google us <laughs> like a normal person does. <laughs> <laughs> and until we can see one another again, 
May all of your eggs be delivered on rolls. <laughs> Bye. Aren't you going to take this with you? I asked for it on a roll, and I like to travel light. <laughs>